Thank you for joining us today for Armchair Historians. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cannon. Armchair Historians is a Belgian Rabbit production. Stay up to date with us through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Wherever you listen to your podcast, that is where you'll find us. You can also find us at armchairhistorians.com. Also, won't you consider becoming a patron of the show? In an effort to keep Armchair Historians commercial-free, I have decided to work with Patreon. To find out more, go to patreon.com backslash armchairhistorians. That's historians with an S. You can also find a link to our Patreon page in the episode notes. You will be helping me to keep the lights on. And if you can't make a donation, that's totally cool. I just hope you will continue to listen to our free podcasts. Some of you know that I live in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. I love living here, and I have met some of the most interesting people. Our guest today, Leon Joseph Littlebird, is no exception. His family history literally goes back to the beginning. With indigenous roots through his mother's family line and pioneer roots through his father's. This is part two of the interview with Leon Joseph Littlebird. If you haven't done so already, I highly recommend you go back and listen to part one. Buckle up, boys and girls, because Leon is going to take us for an interesting ride. Far as the eye could see. That's a sight we will never see, a sound we'll never hear. Rolling thunder I mean, my dad remembers seeing a guy that was shot out of the saloon in the morning on his way to school, still lying in the street. I mean, um, and so I'm going to shift now more towards my father because there's really great stories that is strictly just family history that's so cool that you really can't, you, there's no access to it because I've never written that book. And so here he is. My dad was named Charles after his great-grandfather. So another Charles. My family's full of them. <laughs> in fact, my name's Leon Joseph Charles. So, you oh, know, even okay. I got the moniker in there. Charles Franz Joseph. Okay. So his mother was originally from, was half French and Prussian. So Franz Joseph was uh, a, a famous name for the Prussians back then. So he got hit with that moniker. He was named after, obviously, his iconic grandfather. And, and then his little brother was named Leon. OK, so that was after his dad's favorite brother. And they left the Frederick off and named him Leon. At three years old, he had a toothache. And the dentist from Georgetown gave him some pain medication and it killed him. Ah. And so my dad very well remembers that his my grandfather was 511 and a minor at work i have his wedding ring and it's bigger than my thumb right i oh, mean wow so he was a big pictures? guy huh do you have pictures uh no uh i have the ring oh pictures of him yeah i, yeah. I have photographs oh. of him yeah oh. uh he was a real kind gentleman my mom always spoke of him just with love and he, he was a great guy apparently um but he was so grief stricken that his son had been killed by this medication. He loaded his Winchester 94, 25, 35, and was going to Georgetown to kill the dentist when his wife, who was four foot 10, probably weighed 100 pounds, tackled him in the front yard and sat on him and convinced <laughs> him, I just lost my son. I don't want to lose my husband. 
and here's my dad, like, you know, five years old watching this whole thing. And so it was a big memory for my dad, you know, that he had lost his little brother and he saw his parents so grief stricken. And so many years later, when Dave Collins owned our old house, it was the post office in Silverplume. And I was ski racing and in Georgetown at the old Red Ram after a ski race and ran into these two guys who worked in the post office at Silverplume. And they said, it's haunted. I said, what do you mean? And they didn't know me or, or that my family was there or any of that. And they said, there's a little boy that if we leave things at a certain level, this little monitoring little boy knocks stuff off. And we come wow. back in the morning and things have been changed and moved around, but only about the height the little boy could reach, you know, and we feel this, there's this ornery little boy and it's like, that's my uncle. That's the guy I'm named after. So uh, <laughs> Dave Collins actually let me go up and spend the night there after he threw the post office out. And I had no ectoplasmic experience there, oh, okay. but um, uh, you know, I, I brought him home with me. I said, come home, your dad, your brother's still alive. And when my father passed away, he was 94 and I was the first one to get to his bedside. And he had the biggest smile on his face and his hand was raised up in the air and he was looking up and he had this like he had seen. And as I walked in, I already knew that he had passed. So I walked in crying. I was already upset and I could feel this little boy in the room, but I was focused on my dad and it was little his little brother came and got him. It was really, really cool. I mean, I could tell by the look on his face and the presence in the room that he had come to take his brother home. Really, really a kind of a, a ghost story that uh, that is kind of cool. But one of the neatest things that my dad would tell me is, you know, back then the Colorado and Southern Railway ran the narrow gauge train from Denver to Silverplume. And the turnaround was right there at the end of town in Silverplume. And that's when that's the end of the line. They turn the engine around and go back down. So now, we all know the Georgetown Loop. It's still in operation, you know, it, and it was a little different back then the way it looked. But you could hear in Silverplume, you could hear the train coming for a long time before it arrived at the station. So my dad would gather up iron pyrite and polish it up and make it real shiny because it looks like gold and stand on the platform and listen <laughs> for people with an accent. And if they <laughs> or speaking a foreign language and sell them fool's gold. And back in those days, a miner made a dollar a day and my dad would make 50 cents, 75 cents, you know, come home. And my oh. grandmother's like, what a great job for a five year old boy. So she became his marketing director and they took some cardboard and made like a little display. And he would she'd have him take his shirt and shoes off. So he looked poor. <laughs> and oh, wow. he sold. Fool's gold to the tourists at the train station in Silverplume. And that was a big part of his deal. And he was really, you know, my dad was a sweet, kind, really, really smart uh, kid. But uh, and if you had known him as, as an adult, you'd never you wouldn't believe how honor he was. I mean, the stories he'd tell me at Halloween, they would steal the gates off people's front front yard. Now, the gate hinged just it just sat down. It wasn't locked in. So you could pull the gate straight up and then they'd hang them over the telegraph poles. Oh, my God. And that was the kind of pranks. And another thing they would do is most of the houses are frame, right? So they would take a square nail and tie a string to it and put the nail up between the slats of the frame house on a, in the middle of a wall. 
and play it with rosin from a violin bow until uh-huh. it set up a vibration and made the house hum. Oh and when God. the people would come out freaked out and confused by why their house was humming, they'd pull the nail out and, and hightail it. <laughs> so this is Where what did the they kids, ever think of that? Where did they I, ever get that? Yeah, my dad idea. thought it up. You know, I mean, it was his idea. Uh, he was he was a genius. I mean, he went on to really truly be a genius with many patents and inventions and oh, wow. an incredibly prolific artist. In fact, behind me, you're seeing my dad's artwork on the wall. And uh, so by 1815, uh, you know, the the towns in, in, in Clear Creek and um, 1915 by 1915. Yes, I'm sorry. By 1915, all those mining towns were starting to shut down pretty much. Um, you know, there was they, they were becoming ghost towns really quick. But the train was still running. The train ran until, I think, 19, early 1940s. But, okay. um, or at least the tracks were still there. It was the, during the war, they tore all the tracks down for the metal. Mm-hmm. But um, my family could go back and forth. So they maintained their house in Silver Plume, but moved to Denver so they could work. And they bought a house at 2931 Marion Street, which is called Curtis Park now. And across the street at 2932 Lafayette, across the alley, actually, was this great big house with an old three-season screened-up back porch. And this old man would sit out on that porch every day and watch the kids play and all the kids have been told to leave him alone he's old he's sick don't bother that old man he's special so back in those days the boys idolized cowboys especially buffalo bill he was the king of the wild west he had all the Mm -hmm. nickel novels and you know it, it was a big deal so my dad was out pretending he was about 14 15 years old and he's pretending he's a cowboy so he found this old hat tied twine around it and, and he made a rifle out of a picket from a picket fence with a saw and a file he carved it to look like a rifle because you couldn't buy toys you had to make your own uh-huh. and the old man is watching my dad play and he calls him over hey son come here i want to talk to you so my dad wasn't afraid anybody grew up in that mining town you know i mean he saw the frontier change right and he walks up yes sir can barely see the old guy and he goes, I've been watching you play, son. Who do you pretend you are? And he holds that rifle up. And he goes, I'm Buffalo Bill. And the old man says, no, son, I'm Buffalo Bill. And oh, it, wow. It was so Colonel he lived there? His sister Ann Decker owned that house. And Bill was at the end of his life. He was in the last two and a half, three years of his life. And she was taking care of him. And so my dad ended up striking up a friendship oh, wow. with Buffalo Bill. And. Buffalo Bill convinced him that uh, he should bring him whiskey and tobacco because his sister wouldn't let it. And so my dad (laughs) would tell me this story my whole life as a boy growing up, but he never quite finished. If he did that, he would always say he called him the old man. He'd say the old man used to ask me for whiskey and tobacco. And I would say as a kid, I'd say, what'd you do? And he'd just shrug his shoulders. But when my dad was in his 90s and I was helping my mom take care of him, he was so grateful that I'd come and visit, bathe them, and take care of him. It was so humbling and beautiful for me to take care of my father. He was like, what can I do for you? And I said, finish the stories. I want the rest of the details from yeah. his family stories. Did you bring Buffalo Bill whiskey? And he 
uh, kind of hemmed and hiding goes, well, yeah. <laughs> well, you were 15. Where did you get it? He goes, yeah, I had to steal it. <laughs> and it was like, well, why didn't you from your dad? He goes, yeah. And I said, why didn't you ever tell me that? He goes, I didn't think, want you to think it was okay to steal my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So he, uh, so this, this precocious and intelligent young man, um, with all this cool history and great stories and Buffalo Bill told him some great stories, which I've put in some of my songs. I've written a song called the ghost of the Buffalo. That's all about that meeting of my dad and Buffalo Bill and the stories he told about the train having to stop for five days while the Buffalo herd crossed the track. Wow. So many millions of Buffalo there were. So, um, pretty crazy. So, but he was a prolific artist and a craftsman and an inventor and really and a great dad, really tremendous teacher and patient, bought me my first guitars and encouraged me and made my first native flute for me. And, um, you know, I mean, just so, so incredible. But he got the job with only an eighth grade education, which he got in Silver Plume, right? Uh, he went to night school, to art school, but uh, he got the job in 1925 when he was 26 years old to be the art director for Mountain States Telephone and Telegraph, which was AT&T. And mm. it was his idea to put the commercial phone directory on yellow paper. No. Yep. Seriously? Yep. So that all started in the Denver. Yellow pages. I remember. The yellow pages. Well, pages. They, they didn't call it the yellow pages till 1957. So I, and that became let your fingers do the walking through the yellow pages became yep. a real big deal. And so, it, you know, I'm eight years old, right? It's like, dad, you invented the yellow pages. And he's like, <laughs> yeah. no, that was marketing called it the yellow pages. It was just my idea to put it on yellow paper. That's interesting. So was that original phone, oh, the phone book, it just, you know, it just brought back so much, just that thought of the phone book, you know, and that I lived in Cleveland, Ohio, so it was pretty thick. And it was one book. It and was. It, remember, and it, it had the, it, it had the yellow pages and the white pages were together in one book. Right, right. Yeah. So they used yellow paper to separate it. <clears throat> That's interesting. Wow. That I'm I'm most so far that's the most impressive thing you've said. Just because it, <laughs> well, that's good because that's the end. <laughs> so my dad went no, on it's to all, be an it's inventor really and, a, yeah. and an incredibly gifted artisan and craftsman. And um, our basement was full of tools, lathes, and drill presses and routers. And I part of my education was to learn to use tools and and to paint and to draw and to sculpt and. Um, you know, I'm so grateful that I have this incredible pioneer heritage here in Colorado that includes um, all these wonderful artists and musicians. And yeah, I am in my wow. own way trying to, to, to keep that heritage alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's I, I've all my family was very musically uninclined. And I love to hear stories about like what you said about that legacy of passing the music down from generation to generation. And I wish I had that, but I, you know, somebody has to be an appreciator of fine music. So that's me. That's what I do. We need your family. We need fans. 
<laughs> That's right. We're fans. We're, I'm a fan. <laughs> well, thank you so much for giving me the honor and the time to share um, my favorite history of today. My talking about uh, the those who preceded me, and and you know, I think often as I'm up on um, Waldorf or Argentine Pass or something with my $2,000 mountain bike, feeling like I'm a real stud, that it was <laughs> my grandfather and great uncle were up there with shovels and picks making that road, you know? So it's, yeah. um, uh, it's humbling and it, and it's, and it's, you know, that most of the stories I do are about the other side of my family, which is the indigenous side and the creation of music and musical instruments and, that's where I've spent the majority of my time doing research and the um, more most of the professional storytelling gigs that I get are about that, how the indigenous created music. So um, how did your dad meet your mom? Oh, well, this is really cool. So here here's my mother whose family moves to Colorado dirt poor. Their first place they lived in Denver was an abandoned theater. Oh, wow because they couldn't afford anything else. And there was a hole in the roof so they could light a fire to keep warm. And <clears throat> so my mother taught, and one of two of her sisters had tuberculosis. It was a, a really one of those incredible stories. But my mother found a typewriter that someone had thrown away, fixed it, <clears throat> and taught herself to type when she was 14. And went to the typing pool at Mountain State's Telephone and Telegraph and got hired because she was faster and more accurate than all the other girls. And she was a hard worker and she was funny, had a great sense of humor and cute as a button. So she went up the ranks and became the secretary of the president of Mountain State's Telephone and Telegraph, who was my dad's boss. Ah. And now my dad had already been traveling by this time. This is 1933. By that time, my dad was this handsome, debonair, 34-year-old artist, the president of the Art Guild, traveling to Taos, where my mom was born, was one of his favorite places, and Santa Fe to show his art, but also Monument Valley loved the Navajo. So he laid eyes on my mom. It was love at first sight, and even at, his old, at 94 years old, when my mom would walk in the room, my dad would light up and go, there's my angel. He, They were completely in love wow. and she wanted a she wanted a blue-eyed guy to get her uh just to be her savior my dad had brilliant blue eyes so um they both got their wish and they were devoted to each other so that's how they met and from the day that they first met it was that was it it was uh pretty it's really kind of a cool love story yeah that is that's beautiful i love hearing stories like that and that's and so that's uh, you know my dad kind of came to the rescue and and uh, helped you know my grandmother my Navajo grandmother whose name was Leonor so oh. I get Leon from both sides of the family. What a coincidence! Well, it's really cool because yeah. when it came time to name me, I have an older brother and older sister, and I was they were quite a bit older than me. So when I came along, I was the last kid. Because my mom wanted, she was a lot younger than my dad, so she wanted one more kid. And uh, my dad was very successful, so I was like, sure, you know. And um, he was 50, almost 52 when I was born. Oh. So, um, 
which was great for me because he lived in 94. <laughs> so I had him a long time. But my brother and sister got married and were gone when I was still in high school, you know. So um, I had my dad all to myself and he was retired. And he would just say, pack up your bag. We're going for a couple of weeks and would head to Monument Valley and Taos and um, Canyon de Chez. And, you know, it was my dad who kept me connected to my heritage. That's nice. Is there anything that um, I haven't asked you that you would like to say or? I would like to say thank you very much for your time and uh, for giving me the honor of sharing uh, my family history. I'm pretty passionate about my yeah. heritage and um, and for good reason. They, they, these were some extraordinary people. And when you think about how tough life was back then, um, you know, they were all in the business of surviving every day. And um, I look at how fortunate I am to live here in the mountains still and to be able to uh, make a living as a singer, songwriter, storyteller, you know, someone who gets to do ceremonies for people and uh, very, very fortunate. And, you know, in, in this current thing that we're going through, I just keep looking ahead as to we're going to learn some new ways to live. And and I think this is one of those new ways that we're going to become more reliant upon. So yeah, thank you. It's, it's, yeah, it's been a real mixed bag. I was thinking about that before we started talking was there's been some really positive things about it, but you know, there's also that downside at the change and the, you know, having to think differently and, and yet all those things are positive at the same time. Well, we'll learn and we'll grow uh, if we're as smart as we think we are. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Did you say you had some music that you wanted to, wanted me sure. to use? Sure. Do I want me to send it to you? Yeah. You can just send me a digital file and I'll use it because you know, I have a format for how I start the podcast and I start out with my own music, but then I always have some uh, special music with uh, Kevin. It, it's like an old French uh, musical piece. Um, and so every time I'll have something a little different and that would be great if I could use. Well, I can send you several things. I can send you, you know, like from the Ghost of the Buffalo, which I which I mentioned, because that's uh, so and there's and I can also send you some of the native flute stuff that's really cool, that's cool. just instrumental that you can yeah. use. So I'll send you I'll send you a few things you can and use what you want. You have my permission. All right. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Thank you so much for being here and talking to me today. I really enjoyed it. It was my pleasure. That was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. Today I'm going to leave you with the ghost of the buffalo by Leon Joseph Littlebird. Have a great week. Not long ago on the Eastern Plain, it's funny how fast things can change. Cities sprawl, the open range was the land of the buffalo. One and a half centuries since the prairie was flooded by a bison sea, brown and dust moving endlessly, far as the eye could see. 
That's a sight we will never see, a sound we'll never hear. Rolling thunder through the prairie grass as the bison herd moves near. Running through the legends of the past, the ghost of the buffalo. Even from a hundred miles away, you can hear them coming sometimes for days. See the dust, feel the shake of the earth beneath your feet. I heard some old timers say if the herd was moving, it could take five days. Standing still and they're coming your way, you'd swear they'd never end. But that's a sight we will never see, a sound we'll never hear. Rolling thunder through the prairie grass as the bison herd moves near. Now there is no shadow cast by the ghost of the buffalo. Sits on a screened up porch His days look dim His eyes bear the torch Of a young man Who was a hero born Out of blood into history He sits alone there every day Watching as the children play One boy gets close And he says, son Who do you pretend to be? He says, I am the star of the Wild West show The king of the open range I travel around with a rodeo and a woman with a deadly aim. The whole world knows that I got my fame from the ghost of the buffalo. man says, boy, I love those words. These days, that's about the sweetest thing I've heard. Hear you tell the tale of my younger days and pretend you are me. That's the first time the young boy sees his long white hair, sharp goatee. He's looking at a legend out of history. He says, sir, who are you? He says, I was the star of the Wild West show, the king of the open range. I traveled round with an Indian chief and a woman with a deadly aim. The whole world knows that I got my fame from the ghost of the buffalo. Fills the boy's head with tales of frontier life, great detail. Being a scout and riding Pony Express, how the red man was his friend. The boy brings whiskey and tobacco plug, sits cross-legged on a Navajo rug, while the old man spins his yarns and tells how the West was really one. But those are stories we will never hear, old memories fade away. Like the rolling thunder through the prairie grass No longer heard today Now there is no shadow cast By the ghost of the buffalo Buffalo